Well, have your Bibles open. Uh, I've prepared this from the New King James. Um, I know that I think it would be the NIV that was read. It's only a few differences, um, and one of them I'll point out. Um, But in one sense, I don't want us to focus on the rich young ruler. I want us to have him in the back of our minds. He's the background. He's the foundation. He's the context of where the Lord Jesus is bringing his teaching out from verse 23. But I particularly want us to think about the phrase, how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Three times the Lord Jesus speaks about entering the kingdom of God in this passage. Now, any of you who are biblically literate, and it doesn't matter if you are or you're not, because I'm going to say to you, if God repeats something twice, we should listen. If God says something three times, it's like all the hosts of heaven are trumpeting out to us. People, take note. This is so important. It's the most important thing today. I'm sure you all have family concerns, financial concerns, all sorts of things that trouble our souls, things that God cares about that are important to the shepherd of God's people. But if there's someone here tonight who's not in the kingdom of God, there is nothing more important than to know you are in God's kingdom forever. Once in a London newspaper, there was a prize offered out for the best definition of money. And the first prize went to this. Money is an instrument that can buy you everything but happiness and pay your fare to everywhere but heaven. Now, the rich young ruler is the the physical illustration of that definition. Notice in verse 22, Mark records, he went away from the Lord Jesus, having ran to Jesus. He'd come speedily. He'd come with something desperate upon his heart. He'd knelt before the Lord Jesus. He'd acknowledged that he was a teacher, a teacher that had the words of eternal life, just like Peter had said to the Lord Jesus himself. But notice how he leaves the Lord Jesus. He comes with a good question, the best question, the most important question, But he leaves sorrowful. Now his money hasn't disappeared. It's not as if he's been robbed, that there's been a burglary in his house. It's not as if he's lost his title as one of the ruling elders of the nation of of Israel. No, none of that's gone. And it's interesting, isn't it? The Lord Jesus gave him the answer he needed. And yet the man walks away sorrowful. You may be sitting here tonight and there is something in you. You're not here in church because perhaps you've been dragged by your family. Uh, Perhaps you're here and there is some sincere desire in your heart to know who Christ is, to know eternal life. You know there's more to this. In fact, all of us do because the Bible says God doesn't believe in atheists. There's no such thing. There isn't anyone who can look at the created universe and say, no God, there is no God here. The difference is whether we suppress it in unrighteousness. We deny it because we don't want to know the reality of God. This man is sincere in his desire to know how he can be assured of God's eternal kingdom. And yet he's sorrowful because he sits on the fence between heaven and earth. His mind, his soul is craving the knowledge of God's kingdom, but his heart treasures something else. And he's sad. 
and you can spend all of your life treasuring the things of this world whilst knowing the truth of eternity. And you will walk in and out of this building Sunday after Sunday after Sunday with a sadness in your heart, with a dissatisfaction just like this rich young ruler. And the Lord Jesus, as he always does, because he is the way, the truth, and the life, he inscribes over this scene the lesson that we need to learn. I know that I think Mike Stringer was preaching not too many weeks ago, and at a recent FIEC uh, ministers' conference, they had this, you know, real super tech kit out with the, you know, the projector on the screen. It goes beyond me in the words even, uh, and with a tablet, with a pen to write on this map. And someone gave it to Mike Stringer of all people, and he's sitting there trying to figure it out. I'd be the same, I have to say. But he's bemused as to how on earth am I drawing on this map, and it's coming on up there. Well, the Lord Jesus takes this scene and he draws over it. He puts his stamp, his statement on it, and he cuts through the silence how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Notice the exclamation mark. The Lord Jesus is adding emphasis to this statement. And in verse 24, the disciples' response is seen. They are astonished, or whatever the word is used in the version that you have. They are utterly bemused. Now, I want to ask you a question. Are you bemused at their bemusement? Now, why do I say that? Well, think of what they've just witnessed. They've just witnessed a rich man finding it hard to enter the kingdom of God. Were they in a trance? Had they been asleep? Did they have amnesia or something like that? No, the problem was this, that in their society, in their culture, they had a deeply entrenched wrong belief in their spiritual understanding of God's providence. Recently, during COVID, in fact, it was last year we finished, we extended the back of the chapel. It was nothing grand or special, but it's given us a bit more space. Uh, And there was a a little sort of almost coal shed, brick coal shed, down the back of of the chapel. And when we were excavating to now put in all the insulation that will never really have any effect, but you have to do it. Okay, we're digging, digging, digging. And there were these huge boulders. The, The first chapel builders, of course, they could do it in those days. We need some foundation. We've not got concrete here. Let's just stick some boulders in the ground and build the brickwork over the top. And the more you dug, the more you went down, and they kept going deeper and deeper. This misunderstanding of the disciples was so deeply entrenched. Now, you might be thinking, but wait there, doesn't the Old Testament show us that the sign of heavenly blessing was wealth and riches? Think of Job. Job was a righteous man in his generation. He was a wealthy man. You think of Abraham. Though Abraham, of course, the father of faith, he looked to the city not built with hands. I wonder which city are you looking at? What, what kingdom are you building in your life, even as a Christian? Abraham was a stranger and a pilgrim in the promised land. But what was he looking to? He was looking to that eternal kingdom, the eternal blessing of God. But Abraham was a wealthy man, wasn't he? Even as a dweller in tents. It's true that God did make a covenant of blessings and curse. You look at David, the great king. As David and the kingdom under him honoured the Lord, kept the commandments, 
God protected them. God blessed them. And you think of Solomon being the one to build the temple, but who laid all of the goods in store? It was David, the king. But what they had forgotten is that the wicked also prosper. This was one of the great contentions in a man called Asaph in the Old Testament in Psalm 73. Read it because Asaph is a godly man. He loves God. He keeps the commandments. He goes through all the ceremonies and the rituals. And then he looks outside at the tents of the wicked and he says, they're prospering. They don't care about your law, Lord. They don't care about the commandments. They, they trample upon their own consciences and look at them. They're rich, they're wealthy, they they live long lives. Of course, Asaph entered into the house of the Lord, didn't he? And he said, when I humbled myself before you, when you showed me what a fool I was, because the end of the wicked, the temporary prosperity of the wicked, it leads to destruction. They would have forgotten the penalties given out to those who pursued wealth without godliness. You think of, do you remember Elisha's servant, Gehazi? Remember the, the, the Syrian commander, Naaman? This man comes, he's got leprosy. He comes to Elisha and he says, he says that uh, this, this girl of, of Israel, who's their slave, uh, has sent me into Israel. The Israelite king has sent me to you. Long story short, Gehazi, he lied, didn't he? Elisha had said, I don't want any payment. God has done this. Gehazi runs after wealth. He lies. And of course he faces the penalty, the, the, the very leprosy that Naaman had been healed from. Gehazi contracts. You think of wicked King Ahab. You know, there's so often his sons are called, you know, as wicked as their father Ahab. He pursued wealth. He was a weakling. And of course he suffered God's penalty. And we could go on and on and on. They also forgot the pulling power of wealth away from God. You know, this is where it begins to hit home, isn't it? King Ahab seems so far away. Gehazi seems to be ancient history, and they certainly are. But here's where it begins to draw nearer to you and me. Every one of us has known the pulling power of wealth, haven't we? Every one of us. The human heart craves these things, doesn't it? Generally speaking. You think of David. David born as the shepherd king. Yes, David had wealth. David had a palace in Jerusalem. David was honoured by the people. Yet David is the king who danced before the Lord in a linen ephod. And when his, when his uh, self-righteous, proud wife, Michal or Michael, says to him, what an embarrassment you've made of yourself before the people, and David said, I will do even more embarrassing things. Because David only cared for the Lord. But just go one generation past into the life of Solomon. Solomon had riches and wealth beyond any of the other kings of Israel and Judah that followed. And look at where it brought him. The one who God had given wisdom at the beginning of his reign. But wealth and riches stole his heart. I, uh, I did a part-time course with the Evangelical Movement of Wales 
doing their theological training at, at, at Bala. And one of the one of the lecturers there was a man called Stephen Clark. Some of you may know Stephen Clark, a, a broad South Welshman. Uh, and he and his wife have just retired and actually moved to Cyprus. And they're enjoying serving the Lord there and worshipping. But they were so kind to us, and particularly Lynn's wife, was so so concerned to know the needs of all the students who were there. You think sometimes you, you meet elderly Christians and they some can feel aloof and far away from the young. Well, their concern was very much for me, my wife, my family. And they were going on holiday and Lynn said, look, come and use our house for a week's holiday, you and your children. We drove down to South Wales and when we got into the house, there was a lovely basket of goodies for us. The children all had a little gift and there was an envelope with some money in for me and my wife to enjoy. And on the kitchen, this verse, if riches increase, set not your heart on them. They weren't interested in money. They weren't interested in what they could keep and what they can have. Of course, the scriptures tell us that one of the root of all kinds of evil is money, isn't it? Because many who have pursued that have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Maybe you've experienced that. And of course, lastly, they, the disciples had forgotten the poverty of all those who seek first the kingdom of God. Think of that man we've already mentioned, Elisha. Here's a man who has a Syrian general, second in command to the king, with all this wealth that he could give him. And Elisha says, I don't want any of it, thank you. Think of Abraham when he rescued Lot and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the king of Sodom comes out to him and he says, you take your portion for rescuing us. And Abraham says, I will not touch a thing. Lest, lest you say that in some way you've purchased. It's not God that has done this. Think of John the Baptist. The Lord Jesus said, born of woman, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. How is he described in the New Testament? Is he a man with a a nice Learjet and a limousine? Does he have a nice pastor's stipend or whatever it may be? No, he's a wilderness man. He has a, a, a camel skin belt. He eats locusts and wild honey. He's not a man of this world, is he? And yet remember what the Lord Jesus said of the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. You know, it was lovely this week from Monday to Wednesday. I was at a minister's conference in Bala and uh, Stuart Olliott was one of the speakers. Some of you have probably heard him preach and uh, may have met him. And his last message was how the king, everything in the kingdom of God is upside down and inside out. And you know, this passage of scripture here shows the kingdom of God, everything with God is inside out and upside down. If a person of the world comes and sits on these pews or these chairs, they will say the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of comfort, the the pursuit of things and possessions, of prosperity, of position, of power. That's the right pursuit. That's the pursuit of happiness. The Lord Jesus says no. No. No, it's not like that. You turn it on its head. And we sang, didn't we? You, you who were rich beyond all splendor. 
all for love's sake became poor. Became poor. Verse 31 tells us, but many who are first shall be last and the last shall be first. You think of the widow with two mites. What a wonderful picture. Thank God for that lovely picture that the scriptures give us. The Lord Jesus says all of these people have given out of their wealth, out of their plenty. But this widow has put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Now I can imagine many sincere Christians coming up to that dear widow and saying, just put one in. Just put one in. The Lord understands we've got to be good stewards. The Lord Jesus blows that all out of the water, doesn't he? Is he saying that we shouldn't be good stewards? Of course not. Is he saying we shouldn't be wise and careful with our money? Of course he's not. He's looking right into the center of her being. And he's saying, here is a woman who trusts God. Here is a woman whose whole being, whole livelihood is his. And the Lord Jesus commends her. Jesus doubles down again in verse 24. He said to them how hard it is. The disciples respond with bemusement and how can this be? And he answers again and he says, children. I can't remember the last time anyone said that to me in a congregation, you know, children. But how the Lord Jesus is so bearing with his people, so patient, so kind to them. And he understands their need to be reminded of how their disposition should be. You and I here, some of you are young, some of you are older. In fact, it's quite nice to be standing before a congregation where there seems to be quite a few who are actually younger than me, as opposed to, you know, so quite often I feel I'm, I'm one of the youngest around. But young or old, it really doesn't matter. Children. Children. In fact, just before the Lord Jesus in verse 15 had said, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. What a lovely reminder. Children. Children. How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. And the Lord Jesus uses this wonderful illustration, verse 25. He takes the largest animal that his disciples would know. Now, for you and I, we think of elephants, we think of dinosaurs. Now, in their knowledge, they they didn't know about these creatures. A camel was a large animal. Now, some commentators, they try and say, well, there was a door in the side of the city of Jerusalem and, you know, it was a tiny little thing and they would know about this. I'm not really bothered whether that's true or not. Jesus takes a tiny thing and a big thing. Simple as that. A big camel trying to get through the eye of a needle. Now, you may look at me. I like rugby. I watched the Tigers yesterday. No, that's yesterday. You know, the Lord's Day is far more important. Great. I love football. But here's a little secret. I'll I'll tell you a little secret about me. When I was at primary school, I was part of the cross-stitch club. I did cross-stitch. I did cross-stitch an Arsenal badge, because I was an Arsenal fan, okay, but I did cross-stitch, all right? Now I think of that little needle, the eye, so small, and a camel trying to get through it. Do you get the picture? It's not complicated, is it? 
Jesus, he's told them, he's made a statement, and now he says, no, no, just try and imagine this big, fat camel, the fattest you've ever seen, trying to get through the eye of the needle. That's what I'm talking about. Now, if you're a Christian tonight, there'll be something inside your heart saying, yep, yep, that's absolutely right. (laughs) What God had to do with me, how he had to wake me up, how he had to show me my need and how I might enter the kingdom of God. And if you're not a Christian tonight, I hope that there's something stirring up, that the word of God can be like a stirring stick. I want to stir you up and I want to show you that without God, you can't enter his kingdom. In fact, you have no hope of entering the kingdom of God without God. It's impossible for you. It's impossible for anyone. We don't like that. I'm a proud man. I don't like that. Impossible? Hard? For me to enter the kingdom of God? Wait there, I'm I'm 36. I'm not too old yet. You know, I've got stamina. I can run for four miles without stopping. Uh, I've had a family. I've kept a job going. I can do things. I'm not the man I used to be. I can change. The Lord Jesus doesn't play games with us. He doesn't stand up in the pulpit and say, let's have a debate. Let's have a conversation. I'll be a lecturer. You be my students and we'll give and take. No, this is the Lord Jesus speaking. This is the Son of God speaking. It's hard. It's hard. And when we think of the rich... I mean, in our earthly experience, though it's less in our generation and in our culture, human history is replete with the complete opposite. The kingdoms of this world to get somewhere, to be someone, you have to be rich. It may not be that you're rich financially. If you want to be someone in academia, you've got to have a big intellect. You've got to have connections. You've got to have read certain books and to be able to quote certain philosophers. You know, do you get the picture? To achieve in the kingdom of this world, you have to have lots. In the kingdom of God, you have to realize you have nothing. Nothing. Is the Lord Jesus correct in his assessment? Well, yes, the evidence is before us. The rich young ruler went away sorrowful. The Lord Jesus told the parable of the rich fool. Do you remember? Here's a man who has a bumper harvest. That's where my community starts to come in a bit better. You know, uh, the the oilseed rape or the corn that's growing or broad beans. You see fields and fields of them around Thurliston. And he has a bumper harvest. And what does he say to his soul? I'll build a bigger barn. I'll store it all up and then I'll relax. I'll eat and I'll drink and I'll be merry because I've got so much laid up forever. But God comes and God says, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. Then whose will those things be that you have laid up? What a great question. What a great question. Lot's wife. The Lord Jesus spoke about Lot's wife, didn't he, to his disciples. He said, remember Lot's wife. You know, Lot's wife demonstrates my own depraved heart. 
my own longing after the things of this world. Because she's been told, not by just two men, two angels. Two angels have said, God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. That's quite a lot of revelation, isn't it? God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. You have been chosen to be rescued. Leave the city and don't turn back and look. Can you imagine her? Now let's all be honest. Lot's wife was leaving a lot behind, wasn't she? She had family back in Sodom and Gomorrah who had turned away from the Lord. She had a home. She had all of her possessions I'm not going to judge her and say, you know, I would have definitely been okay. And look where Lot ended up with his two daughters. You can imagine her heart is craving. I just want to look back. Is it really true? Uh, You know, can I believe this that's going to happen? And she just turns and looks. Her heart was after that. And of course, Judas was standing here listening to the words of the Lord Jesus, wasn't he? Judas, who heard the Lord Jesus say, Blessed, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And Judas is the one whose soul was valued at 30 pieces of silver. He sold the Son of God. But you know, again, it's very easy for us to point at Judas, to point at Lot, to point at all of these others and not to look at ourselves. What about the millions in the Western world? What about some of you here? I presume the students here. We don't have students in Thurlaston. Okay, students of university. The students of life. There are students in primary school. Three of them are mine, my own children. I'm a student, but the students here. You know, you might be a Christian student. It's irrelevant, really. You'll hear the siren calls of the world. The things that will cause you to crave... But let's not just look at students, every single one of us, go rising up and rising up. There might be someone here who has a, a big bank balance, who you know, drives a nice car, who's living a comfortable life, and yet you're not in the kingdom of God. Why do riches and wealth make it hard? Well, in verse 24, and this is where there's a translation difference, in my New King James, I have this. Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches. For those who trust in riches. Now, you can talk to me afterwards and play around with which version might be right. I'm not too fussed in the end because the words are true, isn't it? It's our trust and our reliance upon those riches, upon those possessions that keep us out of God's kingdom. Isn't it? Proverbs chapter 10, verse 15 says this, the rich man's wealth is his strong city. It's a good picture. Someone in a strong city feels indestructible, don't they? Nothing can get them. They're distracted from the reality of the greatest enemy, which is death. And if you want a good picture of this, go to Belshazzar in the Old Testament, the king of Babylon. And he is feasting And he's even using the items that were used for the worship of God. And he's praising the gods of Babylon. And outside his city, he knows a Persian army of thousands are waiting to take his city. What he doesn't know is that they're going to enter in that night. 
Can you see the foolishness and the arrogance of the man? But his behavior reflects the heart of thousands in Loughborough. And maybe the hearts of some of you here tonight. Riches, comforts, they distract us from the very real truth that our lives are frail. Frail. Frail as summer's flowery flourish blows the wind and it is gone. Your life could end today, doesn't matter how old or young we are. And you know the other thing that riches make us fall into? They cause us to not be able to imagine joy and satisfaction without comfort and possessions. I've met some wonderful Christians who had very little, and yet they were rich. In fact, the Lord Jesus testifies in the second letter in Revelation when he writes to the the Christians in Smyrna. He says to them, you're about to suffer for my sake. The sword is going to come down on you. Some of you will lose your lives for a period. People look at you from the world and they look in and they say, look at those poor Christians. But what does the king of heaven say about them? You are rich. You are rich. And what does he say to the church in Laodicea? You think you see. You think you have lovely garments. You think you're rich, but you are poor. You are blind. You are naked. You have nothing. But the Lord Jesus doesn't leave his church there, does he? Praise God for his grace. Don't we all need grace? Now and now and now. We all need grace, always. Grace upon grace. The Lord Jesus says, repent. And he says, behold, I'm knocking on the door. Open up and I will come and fellowship with you. Buy of me real riches, real satisfaction, real life. You know what's wonderful is not being as young as I used to be, but growing up seeing parents, Christian parents, who lived out the reality of riches in Christ, even though they might be poor in this world. When my dad was called to be the pastor at Thurlaston 45 or so years ago, he left his teaching job, been a teacher for five years. They weren't rich, but they had everything comfortable. And they went to live by faith. My dad, as a professional, it's Father's Day, isn't it? You know, I'm proud of my father in heaven, but he gave me a godly father. And I I don't think it's wrong to honour those who have done right. Christian said to him, you're mad. There's no money in the church there. You can't do this. I was born as number five in a 16-foot caravan in a field. What harm did it do to me? Where did they go wrong? They didn't. They trusted God. And when a pound was enough fuel to make the car go, and sometimes they didn't have the car to move the caravan. And my dad walked from the villages where we lived into Thurliston and back again. And you know what? My mum and dad are some of the happiest Christians I've ever met. They have joy in the Lord. A real joy. And what a heritage. 
My dad could have become a head teacher and given to us all on his deathbed, you know, here's 30, 40,000 pounds each. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way, because God uses humble, rich Christians to bless the church of Jesus Christ, and I'm thankful for them. But I have a rich legacy from my mum and dad. In the end, what does all this matter that the Lord Jesus is talking about here? It matters because the kingdom of this world is heading to destruction. It matters because one day, Hollywell, this church, will not be here. It matters because the gold and silver, this is only nine carat gold, but it's very precious, okay, The gold and silver of this world, the banknotes or the digital money, the possessions that we have, the clothes on our back, the skin on our skeletons, will all be gone. All of it. The University of Loughborough won't exist. All the learning from it, if it had nothing to do with the glory of God, won't exist. It won't matter. All that will matter is are we born again? into the kingdom of God? Is the life of Christ in us? Do we know God as our Father? When the Lord Jesus returns and makes all things new, will you be there? Will you be there? It might sound awfully arrogant to say, I know I'm going to be there. I know I'll be there. And I know I'll be there because God did what was impossible and he made it possible. I remember as a, as a young teenager, and we, our church chapel is smaller than this and we still have pews, and I used to be able to sit on my own then. You know, it's great, isn't it? You don't have to sit next to mum and dad anymore. You've got a bit of freedom. And when my dad would preach faithfully, I don't want to tell you the thoughts that were going through my mind. The dirty, foul, awful thoughts that as a teenager I was thinking while my saviour was being preached. While the son of God who suffered and died for me on the cross was being lifted up in the word of God. I was spitting in his face and saying I care for other things. I prefer sex and money. That's what I'm living for. That's where I'm going. And God took that little teenager who pursued all the things of this world, and he made him a preacher. A person who loves to come to church, who loves to preach the word of God, who loves to sing old hymns and new hymns, who loves to hear the scriptures read, who knows that I need grace upon grace upon grace. Do you know how he did it? He did it by his spirit. He did it by opening my eyes. He did it by humbling my heart and breaking all the arrogant pride there. And there's still a lot to go. You see, Jesus is making very, very clear to these disciples, and we could go on and on, but of course time forbids us to do that. The Lord Jesus astonishes his disciples by saying to them, this is impossible for man. But everything is possible for God. Some of you have got Christian family, uh, non-Christian family members. Some of them may be sitting here tonight. You're praying for them. Keep praying. Keep pleading. So encouraged we, preach, we, we go into Hinckley to do open air work there. 
And um, there's a lovely lady at Mount Road Baptist Church in Hinckley whose husband just died a year or so ago of cancer. For years she has been pleading. She's the type of Christian lady that when she talks to you, you can't help but feel as if God is ministering to you all the time. When she prays, she, she, and she'll pray songs and hymns in her prayers. She's been pleading for years and years and years and years. And her husband was saved just a matter of weeks before he passed away. It's the work of God. God takes the slave trader, John Newton, and he converts him. And he's done it a million times over. I won't ask you to put your hand up, but if you're born again here today, did he not do the miracle of the new birth in you? To God be the glory, great things he has done. And if there's someone here tonight, someone here right now, and you're not in the kingdom of God, and there's so many reasons or excuses or things that you're pursuing, can I say to you, number one, the most important thing is to be found in the kingdom of God. And number two is this. I found the most liberating truth of of our God is this. Though he is the one who's so holy, he will judge the living and the dead. He will punish sin. In hell, sinners will live with torment and regret forever. And some of you are heading down that broad road that leads to destruction. But Jesus came revealing God the Father and he said, come to me. Come. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Him. Him who our sins nailed to the tree, took those great iron spikes and slammed them through his wrists and through his feet. He is the one. He is the one who came to set sinners free. He is the one who came to bring forgiveness. There's no feeling like the forgiveness of your sins. Before a God who you begin to fear and love and crave for. And then you realize, wait there, he loved me first. He he sent his son to save me. That's glorious. The world has nothing on it. Nothing. Jesus, as always, puts his finger on the pulse. And let me ask you, do you have a spiritual pulse tonight? Are you in the kingdom of God or are you out of it? There is a free offer for you to draw near to him, to come and have your sins forgiven, to come and say, God, I know this is impossible for me, but I cry out to you. And if I have to be on my knees every night of my life, I will do it until I know that you have come and you have saved me and you have forgiven me and you've set me free and I'm in your kingdom. The soul that is really serious with God will not give up. The soul that pursues the things of this life, whose heart is set on riches, will find nothing but sorrow in the end. Nothing but emptiness. And on the day of judgment, not just sorrow and emptiness, a God who is ready to judge. And a day of grace with a door closed. But that door is open now. Come to him. Come. And I mean it now. If the Lord is calling you, come and enter into the kingdom of God. Well, I don't know how many of my notes I left or whatever, but we'll 
leave that there. And may the Lord use his word to speak to us all. Let's just pray before we sing our final hymn.